Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Notre Grub Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ivan Khan, and I'll be breaking down topics around education, growth, and culture with the intention to help your own growth journeys. Currently, I serve as the CEO at Constitorial, where our team collectively promotes knowledge, encouragement, and community. One of the unique privileges of my work is the opportunity to really discover the various challenges that people face within themselves, their families, and overall community systems. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Ricky Kadir, family physician, mental health advocate, educator, and community builder. Dr. Kadir currently works to serve communities in the Bronx around family medicine, HIV health and wellness. He's a mentor to youth and writes regularly around wellness topics, social good, and mental health, among many other topics. Dr. Kadir, welcome, welcome. How are you feeling? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. It's good to see you again, virtually see you again. It has been a very, very pleasant few weeks getting a chance to collaborate with you with uh, your students at the fantastic South Bronx uh, program. How are the students doing right now? They're doing good. I mean, it's been a tough, <laughs> tough yeah. couple of weeks, as you can imagine, on top of everything else that was going on. Um, but I think it's been nice having, yeah, so you mentioned the South Bronx Community Health Leaders. They're uh, a group of underrepresented like students who are looking for careers in medicine, mostly medical school. And so I'm like, actually, I feel really lucky to be able to be a mentor for them. Um, and particularly through these last like, you know, few months where there's so much going on. A lot of them are applying to medical school this summer. Um, so, you know, stress, definitely stressed. But I think we have a space where we're able to talk about these things. And so um, I'm, I'm very grateful for that. And I know a lot of them are as well. They're a fantastic and inspiring group. Um, multicultural, various levels of experiences. Um, you know, all have this background, uh, you know, having connections to New York City and, you know, the Bronx. So uh, I can't wait to see how things turn out for them. You and I get a chance to also collaborate on a lot of topics, particularly around mental health. And adolescent mental health is, you know, the discussion for the day. And I'm actually taking a counseling course right now uh, around academic counseling. And we're on the adolescent uh, development chapter. So just to make my professors proud, there's early adolescents from age you know, 11 to 13 and then mid from 14 to 16 and late adolescents that some would describe as 17 to 19. And oftentimes, you know, we also understand the clinical, uh, you know, on the side of things, adolescents can mean 22, 23. It's not just a physical, it's, a, it's also like a, a state of mentality. So um, what's your exposure to adolescent medicine today? And, you know, what are some of the things that you keep in uh, the back of your mind? Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a family physician. Um, so I see kids and adults. Uh, I, I would say that adolescent medicine is probably more of my interest, more of my focus in terms of my day-to-day pra -day practice. And, and part of that is because, um, like you said, there's a lot going on. It's not just like, the physical growth, there's like the emotional growth, there is like so many different things going on. And I really enjoy working with, um, and that's also probably why I like working with students and then seeing that transition from like adolescence to like adulthood and continuing to be like their doctor. I think that's something that's really important to me. Um, I serve a lot of underserved communities, including um, 
adolescents experiencing homelessness, um, you know, adolescents who are living in like public housing, uh, who are undocumented or part of families who, uh, who have family members that are undocumented. So a lot of groups that are really um, vulnerable historically, but especially over the last few years since I've become uh, an attending physician. So I think um, for me, it's especially now important to really be like an advocate and to really um, be able to serve those those kids. It sounds like the existence of the Trump administration has made, you know, something as uh, oftentimes tumultuous, uh, you know, growing up, puberty, and just developing into like a young adult. To do that in the backdrop of uh, the, you know, the Trump administration when you're a person of color, uh, that cannot be easy for, for children to deal with and also for physicians like you to treat. You know, what are some of the common things that adolescents you know, go through mental health-wise just in general? And are there... Um, any particular areas where it's worsened because of Trump, because of coronavirus, and more and more recently, everything on the news with Black Lives Matter. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a there's a lot there, but I'm I'm glad you brought that up, and particularly, um, I want to speak to like adolescents of color, particularly because obviously I was one at some point, um, but that's also primarily in the Bronx. Um, the community that I serve in, you know, from all different backgrounds, um, Latinx backgrounds, Black, um, Asian, South Asian. And so the first part of what you're asking in terms of how things have changed over the past few years for a lot of those communities, um, mostly n not good, <laughs> like if we're going to be honest. And specifically, um, if we're talking about things like um, homeless L like you know lgbt youth right mm -hmm. like that's an example that's like a, a major thing uh mm -hmm. like you know adolescent like sexuality like mm -hmm. um particularly in minority communities not being able to talk about it not being safe in your home mm -hmm. um is something that they face uh a, a lot of them face and so when we, we talk about adolescent youth in New York City, particularly a large portion of them are part of the lgbtq mm -hmm. plus community right and a lot of these this administration's um, directives, policies have been kind of towards loosening up restrictions or protections that they had. For example, you know, just there's a lot of different things going on with transgender um, mm -hmm. guidelines, whether that's in the military, whether um, you know, that's just like on in day to day uh, things. But especially in terms of the HUD uh, with Ben Carson, they're loosening up a lot of um, protections that they had written in for the um, for LGBT youth um, during Obama administration, um, undocumented. So um, if, it's, youth. If, it's, yeah. if it's okay for me to quickly interject, it's also affecting housing. There are protective rights around housing discrimination, and it sounds like the housing and urban development uh, agencies made it more okay to be discriminating against folks of LGBTQ plus backgrounds. Is that, is yes. that? Okay. Yeah. And so, and, th and that makes it unsafe, particularly because if you're, um, you know, if you're, if you're trans youth who's, who's living in a shelter, those, those protections are specifically put in place because they are some of the most vulnerable populations of, 
of adolescents that we have in this country. There's like higher rates of anxiety, depression, suicide. Um, and housing itself is such like an important part of someone's health. And, you know, we should be making it easier and not dip more difficult for someone to have like a safe place to stay. Um, and so I think that's something that is kind of getting overlooked because there's so many different things going on. Um, but that can be particularly damaging uh, to the, to that group and to that community. I'd love to come back a little bit, uh, a lot more on this topic, but I do want to rewind back a little bit uh, to your own sure. personal childhood. Uh, you're from Queens and you got a chance to grow up in the suburbs and, you know, clearly you've gone to medical school and you get a chance to serve uh, underserved communities now. Uh, take, take us through your childhood a little bit and any key milestones where you, did you always know you're going to be in this line or, you know, any other milestones that you want to mention to the youth listening? Sure. Um, I have been, like, we came to the U.S., like my family and I were from Bangladesh um, around the, when I was like two years old. We actually were on the West Coast initially. My brother, we were there for a couple of years. My dad was doing like his residency. He's also a physician. Um, and so, you know, that was kind of an early exposure for me. But we moved from the West Coast to the East Coast when I was like about five. And then since then, we moved about six more times. <laughs> like, wow. you know, and I never, I never thought about that, like how um, there was like so many different moves and it was actually really difficult where you know, this is pre-social media, pre-Facebook and Twitter, all this stuff where it's easier to keep in touch with people. Like, But you basically, you'd be going to a new setting, I'd make friends move in a year because this is all part of like, because of my dad's work, he was doing different residencies, fellowships, mm. jobs. So, you know, this was like all part of like the struggle there. And it was like, well, we were moving almost every year until about seventh grade when I moved to um, New Hyde Park. So like, and it was a kind of, you know, Long Island, Queens border um but i mean I, I think that was difficult um at that time for me and i never re even really thought about that till i was older because i was like oh this is normal i'm just going to go to a new you know new house this year a new apartment this year and new friends um but it, it is also interesting because i think it gave me a lot of different exposures to different environments we were in albany one year like in the middle of nowhere and then we came back down to flush like flushing albany new hyde park new jersey like a lot of different like places around new york and new york city so you had um in in a very different version you had a lot of you know for the socioeconomic reasons despite that you had a lot of displacing as your throughout your own childhood and now you get a chance to work with youth that are often displaced. And in my line of work at cons, we have a lot of youth that do move around. Um, however, a lot of their, you know, housing is more constant. And, and a lot of the pressures is, is if, if not this being displaced, it's maybe having different families coming in and out of the home. And that is equally jarring. Um, how did you, you know, once you settled down as uh, in your own adolescence, what are some moments that you remembered after things started settling down uh, in junior high and high school when you, when you had, you know, a long stretch uh, living with your parents in under one roof in a community that you finally got to 
grow it. I remember hating that transition from Queens to like Long Island or like, you know, I guess the border, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I think it was things like, you know, just like after school, you come home, you finish your homework and you go outside. Everyone, like when I was in Queens and like everyone, you know, all the kids are out on the block playing ball, whatever it is, riding bikes. And things just got so much quieter as you know, like in Long Island and you go outside, there's like nobody out here. It's like, what's going on? Um, no one is outside I, playing, yo. <laughs> yeah, like, I know. What, it was just like, like, such a the boring... like, where's the block? Where's the block? <laughs> Why aren't we like playing pinball and throwing yeah. suicide against the wall? You know, like the exactly. Uh, yeah, no, exactly. Until the sun comes down, yeah. like you know, uh, you know, just all all that that whole culture. I was really missing that, and I think that was like a really because I mean, again, this is you know. I don't have to tell you, this is the height of, you know, NBA in our youth, the Knicks, Jordan, obviously we got to talk about the documentary at some point, maybe yeah, if we have time, yeah. but, um, but you know, that, that was like really important for me, like as a person and like you move out somewhere and it's like, you lose that part of your culture and it's, it's a very isolating experience in that sense. And also for me, the going to the high school there, the kid and the middle school. So I came in right in the middle of the like seventh grade year and oh, so this is like right tough. In, <laughs> tough. and right in the middle of seventh grade too. right into the Those economic neighborhood full of white kids and upper middle class people <laughs> and you're you moved around a lot and you're from like that or boroughs so it's different and yeah and it felt <clears throat> different and it felt like a lot of the kids there you know they were there their whole lives so like even like the minorities like the south asians asians they were there they went to the same like uh, elementary school and same like, stuff on Sunday, yeah, 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 and so it was like you know, and this was just so that was also a, a strange transition too, because um, it was like, all right, I you know, I mean, it was easier to make friends. I mean, it was easy to make friends. Um, I don't think that's ever that was ever my issue, but it was like definitely disorienting to feel like, all right, this is like a whole new adjustment. But I think after I got to high school. Um, I started to at least under like figure out a little bit more about what I wanted to do, but even then I wasn't sure. And I think partly too is like you feel like as a I don't know, I don't know, like you feel like you have to be grouped and you know how like high school can break up into the like, it's like all right, there's the there's like the Jewish kids, there's the South Asian kids, there's the Asian kids who like the Korean kids. I'm like a lot of it is like based on culture and because I had moved around to so many different areas, I had like so many different things like that I liked that didn't necessarily like wasn't part of a certain group. I think that was also hard for me too. I think it's now it's easier for kids like, oh, okay, you like you like uh, Pearl Jam and uh, Travis Scott. That's like a normal thing. Or like, actually, I don't know if any kids. It was like, like Dennis Rodman was rocking yeah. out in the Pearl Jam concert. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Dennis yeah, Rodman exactly. was the first crossover yeah. person for basketball fans to listen to Pearl Jam and jam up. And it's like, there are different aspects, you know, like I like comics and also liked the Knicks. I like, I like different parts of pop culture that I had just picked up. And it, it was also hard to like get into like a, a certain group of like, all right, these are, you know, I didn't like cars. <laughs> like a lot of like, you know, a lot of the South Asian kids that I went yeah, to high Queens school with. You don't fuck with cars. I know. Cars I know. Like, <laughs> I like, we don't got the Civic. We don't got this. <laughs> we don't got like the Infinity and the, the driveway. Rims. You know, the rims, the rims. We don't need all like that. The, I mean, you're fearful. <laughs> you got basketball 
you got food, you got to do well to get into a good college at some point or high school. <laughs> uh, so as you're finishing up, you know, you're a little bit of a fish out of water. It's not too tough for you to adjust because you've, you know, moved around a lot. So, so you know your way around and making friends, but it sounds like it, it, just, it just never was home home, like the way you kind of mentally was used to, were used to. So at what point, you know, you're going off to college, where did you go for college? Tell us a little bit about your med school experience and how that led you to family uh, medicine. And then we'll go over to the growth section. I went to Stony Brook University. Um, I was like trying to think of what year I went. It's like 2003. I went to so 2007. I graduated. Um, and that was also, that's like even deeper Long Island. So that was yeah. also interesting. But I mean, it was, it was college. So there was still different groups of people there. Um, it, was, it was a struggle for me then. And I know this is kind of like what we talked about before, because I, at that point, it was just kind of assumed that I would be going into medical school. Like you're the, um, oldest son uh, of an immigrant, you know, like the first, first generation you're growing up, it's like that expectation, right? Like doctor, lawyer, engineer, <laughs> like one of, one of these three paths and, or for a lot of, or go into business and get your MBA. And so I was kind of going down the pre-med path just like by default and at Stony Brook. And I, it was definitely a struggle because it was just felt like completely uphill all the time um mcats all that stuff was like so draining and it's suffering when I your think, parents like your dad's a doctor too like yeah, my dad was yeah. like, my, my dad was like a teacher but he was like everyone's teacher so i was like all right if all these other kids so i got stuck with a very model minority uh upbringing my dad was in education and being um the person t filling his shoes it's really important to us to break away from model minority myth as we go into a different generation. And you and I have that uh, privilege to change that course. So I, I wanted to throw in, it must have been extra tough being the oldest brown son of a, you know, in, in a culture like ours. And your dad happens to be a doctor. So you kind of have an added layer. So what was that like? Yeah, I mean, there's like, I think part of our upbringing too was that, like, for my parents, um, and I don't want to overgeneralize, so I'm just like thinking my parents, but like, you know, a lot of his friends and a lot of people in our community, it's like we came here um, to this country to give you guys a better life, which they did. And they did give us, like, you know, a, they gave us a great life. And it's something I'm really grateful for, um, for both of my parents, because a lot of sacrifice to get, like, do what they did to just, like, leave home and leave all their family friends in the setup shop here in America. Um, but I think it was, it was a lot of pressure for me to like the expectation that you have to be successful in a way that's financially stronger. So that way, that's how we define success. And a lot of times in our culture is you have to be more financially successful than your parent or, um, and so that was, I mean, that was a lot of pressure too, especially because I didn't know what, even what kind of doctor I wanted to be, if I wanted to be a doctor. And that really, that was like, what was constantly like going up against like, like my studying, like taking the MCATs, the day-to-day -day 
Um, and at that time, I didn't even like really think about things like depression, anxiety. It was like non-existent, like in my vocabulary, like nothing. We were, like we really talked about a lot in culture. That was like something, you know, for like the white kids or something like that. And it was just was nowhere near like my understanding that like oh I could be going through like anxiety. I could be going through depression. So when you were an undergrad in Stony Brook, did you realize that something as natural and common as anxiety and depression was becoming a part of your space and your mindset and your journey? Did you realize it was catching up to you? Or did you realize that later on during med school? And, you know, I want to, you know, definitely talk on this because now you're in late adolescence, the first few years right out, and you're a South Asian descent. So mental health is not something that is commonly spoken about. When did you come to that, those realizations? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question, too, because, as you said, it's not commonly spoke about, spoken about in our communities, and I think a lot more now, and that's why I especially give props to a lot of uh, the younger generation, because I see them constantly on social, social media talking about this, um, mental health and the importance of mental health, and I think that's great. Um, at, in college, I definitely didn't think about it, even though looking back on it, I realized I probably was going through whatever it was, anxiety or depression at the time, especially related to all like the academic stresses, the expectations. Um, I ended up going to AUC uh, School of Medicine, it's a Caribbean medical school. I didn't have the grades, I didn't have the MCAT score to get into a US school. I didn't really know much about DO schools at the time. Maybe I would have done that if I go like look back on it. Um, and so like I think going to a Caribbean school at that time was even more is even more isolating in some sense because it's like now the first time I'm like leaving home like leaving New York State and that was also the first time I'm like exposed like you know you grew up in Queens and you're around everyone right we've talked about this before you're around like white kids that were Italian Polish um, yeah. German uh, Czechoslovakian and then obviously around South Asians of every kind you're around like uh, Japanese, Chinese, Korean people, black people, Nigerian people, like different immigrant um, communities. And when I went to AUC, it was on St. Martin. Mm -hmm. And so I was meeting people who had like never been around a minority in their entire life from like, you know, like Iowa or oh. uh, Kansas or whatever it was. And then wow. it was like, had no idea about anything about it, minority, like any kind of culture. like. Um, like, you know, a lot of people thought like, oh, like India and Bangladesh are the same or, yeah. you know, uh, China and Japan are the same. And so that, that was a culture shock. Um, I was still like, wasn't sure whether I, whether medicine was right for me. And like the first two years at that time was heavy on like studying. And again, like, because I wasn't actually acknowledging my mental health at that time, I was definitely finding ways to like act out and sometimes that was through binge drinking that was definitely like in college sometimes that was just like not showing up to class sometimes that was like just like not talking to people and I didn't recognize those things till much later um, but I think it's important to talk about because if we don't if we're not honest with ourselves um, obviously I'm in a position now like you know where I can talk about these things and honestly and I went through all those. I'm still here. 
and but it took you know it took a lot of time and a lot of luck a lot of effort um but i think it's important to talk about those things because the sooner you can address it um the easier it is for you for like people around you and like kind of just to like really make real meaningful changes in your own life i think it's inspiring that you are able to share uh, as a educator as a physician um you know we sat there in medical school i was you know going through my own anxiety and all my other uh you know challenges and i, was, I when i look back at it i'm like yeah i was probably depressed and you know we we took a clinical medicine course on montefiore and we got a chance to hear about even physicians who struggled finding um, happiness and a good work-life balance for whatever reason, and you know they struggled with any substance dependency. And it's important that we're able to talk about it because you know substance dependency su substance dependency can start as early as adolescence. And for them, it could be jewels, it could be drinking, it could be uh, weed. So, you know, um, I'm grateful for your openness. And I can't wait to touch more on this in the growth section. To all of our listeners, this is the Adolescent Mental Health episode with Dr. Ricky Kadir. We'll be right back. back on the Notre Girl podcast, Adolescent Medicine with Dr. Ricky Kadir. Before we left for our first break, Dr. Ricky was telling us about his journey during medical school into adulthood, you know, early adulthood, you got a lot on your plate, you're in a new environment, uh, you're in a new region, and you're starting to have to make decisions about the rest of your life, your career choices. And you got to go through XYZ exams to figure out, you know, what match you're going to have. How did you decide upon family medicine and anything that you started realizing more about yourself towards the end of medical school during your growth phase? Yeah, yeah, I think family <laughs> medicine kind of found its weight to me more than the other way around because... Um, so again, like going, kind of stepping back and growing up when we would talk about doctors, it wouldn't like, and being a doctor, it's, it wouldn't be about being a primary care doctor or pediatrician. It'd be being about like a cardiologist, surgeon, neurosurgeon, right? Like some kind of like um, specialist. And I think there was, there was like a lack of, um, not so much respect, but I think primary care has always been historically like overlooked in medicine and it's not looked at with the same kind of integrity that quote unquote integrity, right. That I guess a lot of our communities may think of like when they're thinking of a doctor. And I think part of that too is again, like you get paid like much less than like a specialist or surgeon. So that, so that does lead to classism and like almost like a, a, a case system 
within the provider space and whether it's dictated by uh, the annual median salary or other factors, uh, here you are facing those choices. Uh, how did you make your choice? Yeah, so I mean, towards the end of medical school, when I was doing my like uh, clinical rotations, I was back in, so I was back in New York City. I was in, living in Brooklyn in Park Slope. Uh, like South South Slope, and I was like doing rotations at like Brooklyn Hospital, um, Lutheran Hospital, which I think is is something else now, um, and then and then Bronx Lebanon, which is now Bronx Care, and so during my r- surgery rotation, one of my good friends actually passed away. He's a, a fellow medical student, um, so suddenly out of nowhere. Um, yeah, thank you. Um, just really really unexpectedly like and it really threw us all for a loop. it was like really just completely shocking and i think that was when my like depression really was like activated i want to say and like i knew something was wrong because like after after he died after like you know we spent like an almost entire night like in the hospital like while he was like you know intubated and then we were waiting for him because he's 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 from uh, Peter, he uh, he's from California, so we were waiting for his sisters to kind of get here, and so we were kind of holding down the fort, really. Um, and it was like a really traumatizing thing that, like, I didn't deal with again until like much later. But I just like went into this like numbness and just didn't want to go to my rotations, didn't want to hang out, like. And this continued during my pediatrics rotation, actually. Since we're talking, this actually ties in since we're talking about adolescent health, but. Um, I was doing my peds rotation at, at Bronx Lebanon and I stopped showing up and, you know, I got caught, I got caught by one of my, my clerkship director and she was obviously understandably like furious. She's like, why are you not, why are you not like, you know, doing like, you know, coming to work, like fulfilling your responsibilities. And it was only like then when I had like my back up against the wall where I was like, I knew what the problem was and it was only then that I had that moment of clarity where like, okay, I need to talk to someone and this is my chance. And so I like, I basically like told her everything that had, I had been feeling everything had been going on. Um, wow. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of shame with mental health. Like I didn't feel like I could talk to my parents about it. I didn't feel like I talked to my, my dad about it. Even like my brother was a few years younger than me. And so when you're in that position, when you feel like you can't talk to anyone, um, you know, I've been lucky enough that we never had to worry about food on our plate. We never had to worry about like where, um, where we lived, even though we moved around a lot, we always had a stable place to live. And so there are a lot of things that I feel very lucky about, um, a lot of advantages that I've had over other kids, but it, you know, it was still all these other things that we've talked about that were, I think kind of unresolved in addition to the fact that I wasn't sure why I was going into medicine, um, so at that time, I started to see a therapist. I talked to my parents about it. I opened it up. And I actually took a couple of years before I matched into residency. And during those two years was when I really realized that um, the things that mattered to me were uh, talking to patients, following up with them, getting to know them, seeing them grow over time, um, and not as much much of the disease, which it, which is, you know, that's why there's different specialties. And for me, historically, again, family medicine, it will, even though I enjoyed it, I was always told this is not a specialty you should go into. And because of, of these other various reasons. 
And I was just like, no, this is, this is what makes me happy. I've kind of also met my wife around the same time. She was, you know, um, also like, uh, she was also kind of like doing like transitioning in terms of like her career. And so I was able to really open up to her. Um, and so all of those factors, a lot of luck kind of got lucky, started applying everywhere. I found a program that I liked in Pennsylvania and I ended up there. Wow. I love uh, that honesty and uh, recollection because, you know, I, <clears throat> a lot of it does hit home for me. When I was uh, applying for residency matches, my two things that I really loved the most were family medicine and physical medicine and rehab. And similarly, I had a lot of naysayers around family medicine saying, hey, you can't really practice it up here in the Northeast. You got to do internal medicine. Uh, even if you just want to be a primary care physician or you have to uh, go to the South to really make your board specialty, make it count and stretch it and all this other stuff. So I got pushed out of, you know, believing in family medicine towards a life in physical medicine and rehab. And I enjoyed it. However, if I, if I really look back at it and if I see myself finishing the physical medicine rehab clinical residency to the types of experiences I had in the outpatient setting and primary care, my love for preventive medicine and public health, I probably would have made the wrong choice in PM&R and I should have been family medicine myself. And the other thing that overlaps is, you know, when you get a chance, when one door closes and we're so used to this straight line, the shortest distance from A to B is a straight line. And when you go the zig and the zag, you end up meeting your life partner along the way and what what sounds like a one to two year delay from the initial timeline turned out to be one of the best things that ever happened to you is that is that about right for you yeah and i i love how you kind of well first i actually didn't know i knew you were in residence i didn't know what the circumstances were so that's actually puts a lot yeah of mine was a match uh so i matched yeah. pmnr and i went uh, did all the interviews and I had to do for that. You had to do an internal category. Uh, intern right, right, right. The categorical <laughs> year. So I was more worried about getting my intern year match because PM&R uh, was one of the best kept secrets in clinical medicine then. So I was, I was able <laughs> to get uh, a top, I was able to get some top choices in both. However, it was due to my bedside manner. I was able to get my number one choice in my internal medicine match which was unheard of for me because, again, I had not been the strongest academic student, but my time in bedside care at North Shore, it, it was literally my lifelong dream of my dad to have me become a resident at North Shore, the, the place that saved <laughs> his life where my kids were born, yeah. and this is well before yeah. that, but everything was like right there. Everything that you know, my dad and I, who you know uh, very closely, worked towards. And then I was like, yeah, but I don't want to do this. And I, I luckily got their blessing to um, say, hey, I, you got the degree and go do whatever the hell you want. Um, but I, but that, that blessing took a long time to get from my dad. And my mom begrudgingly gave it to me. <laughs> and because she's my mom and she's like, all right, uh, I don't want to see him like suffer any longer with all this misery. And for my dad, it, it, it took a time for his ego to get over the fact that he couldn't tell other Bengali people that my son's a resident <laughs> in that hospital right. right there. That one. Hey, I'll just drive you there. Don't worry. I'll pick you up and I'll drive you to his, you know, he'll, he'll wave to you from the, from the staff lounge or whatever. Uh, so 
I had to deal with a lot of that uh, back and forth with my dad, um, probably for a year or two, and got my MPH at the time. And that's exactly when I got a chance to meet NEPA. And it was around uh, the time that I was finishing up my MPH. I was, we were already engaged. The wedding date was set. And I got my first full-time job outside of consultorial. So it was like that helped convince my dad. Most of my wedding speech was about the fact that, hey, did you hear? Yvonne got a full-time job. It was like <laughs> a, a 40, 60% of my wedding speech was about that. And it was, it was a classic brown dad moment. Um, so I'm so glad to hear about all this. Um, how have you used, before we leave the growth section, I got to ask you, Doc. Yeah. You had so many unique experiences in, you know, both uh, physically moving from one place to the other to the other, and also a very, very uh, amazing pathway that helped lead you to the right door for you, both professionally and personally. How do you pass some of these lessons along to your mentees in your classroom and your patients around, uh, especially around the adolescent population? Yeah, I think, especially for, yes, for mentees who are trying to go into medicine, like knowing why you want to go into medicine, I think is like the biggest thing because it's such a difficult field um, mentally, physically. To, it's like a grueling process, right? Which you already know, like medical school, MCATs, even before then, then residency and like racks up lots of, lots of debt, racks up like lots of uh, a mental toll, um, a large mental toll. And so why you're doing that or whatever career you're doing is like the most important thing to think about. And as long as it, the reason is something related to you internally, I think that's the biggest thing. You're not doing it for your parents. You're not doing it for money. You're not doing it for, um, you know, whoever it is. I think that's a big thing for in terms of happiness. And I want to also like acknowledge like a lot of times you have to do things for financial reasons because of your life situation. And like, that's something we should also acknowledge. But I think the happiness of what you do is one of the biggest things. And like you said, life is not a zigzag or life is actually life is not a straight line. It's a zigzag. And it's okay if you're not going in the upward trajectory at all times. It doesn't necessarily mean that's a failure because that's how I looked at things. It's like, Oh my God, I'm not matching for two years. Like how can, how can I like, you know, it's like going back to like what you were saying about your dad. It's like, I know it's hard for him to tell his, his friends like, yeah, my son didn't match this year. Oh really? My son matched here. My daughter matched here. And it's like, you know, then you're like falling behind quote unquote, like your, your peers that you went to like high school and uh, college with. Um, and so I know that's, that's also tough because there's like a lot of these different kind of external pressures, particularly for minority students. Um, so it's, it's important to recognize that and name it. And when you're feeling it to like validate that for yourself um, and to really just take care of yourself throughout whatever you need, um, whether it's therapy, whether it's like support from your friends, whether it's giving yourself time, like an afternoon off, if you were just completely hit a wall from studying, like that's okay. Um, and I think, so those are, some of the things that really I think can go a long way for, for your own mental health as you're continuing your like academic journey. Thank you so much, Dr. Ricky. I think I'm just thinking about all the different places we're going to get this interview sent. Um, you know, this type of information is critical. So I'm just thinking about some classrooms we're going to be dropping this link onto. Uh, I, I really, really, you know, want to thank you for that, sharing that sentiment of following your heart 
and not listening to what's expected of you. It, it will be your own journey. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to talk about it a little bit more in the culture section. So before we go to our final break, to all of our listeners and viewers, this is the Adolescent Mental Health episode with Dr. Ricky Kadir. We'll be right back after this short break when we tackle the culture section. And when I wake up, I recognize you looking at me for the pay cut. Bahamas, I be looking at you from the face down. One Mac 11, even boom with the face down. Skimming, and let me tell you about my life. Painkillers only put me in a twilight. We're pretty Benjamin is the highlight. And I tell my mama I love her, but this what I like. Lord knows. 20 of them in my Chevy. Tell them all to come and get me. Reaping everything I sow. So my karma come in heaven. No preliminary hearings on my record. I'm a gangster in silence for the record. Uh. And we are back. The Not Grow Podcast, Adolescent Mental Health, Dr. Ricky Kadir. Before we, uh, in the previous section, we were speaking about growth, uh, discovering, you know, your true passion, whether it's during high school, college, or graduate school, medical school, whenever you're fortunate, fortunate enough to feel a little closer to your personal legacy or your true calling. And oftentimes that you're the, you're the best person to figure that out and you know not society or those around you but now we've reached my favorite section the culture section so dr ricky you you grew up you spent your first couple of years in california probably don't remember much about it was it northern or southern southern california by la by la and you got here by the time you were five new york city you're a nick fan why the nick fan because i was a scotty fan so I got to give it to you. Uh, we were on opposite ends of that <laughs> battle many, many, many times, especially in 94. Scotty Dunk on Ewing is one of my favorite recollections as a kid, <laughs> even though the Knicks won that series. They won that series. Me. And yeah. um, what did you grow up on sports-wise? Let's start there. Yeah. Um, I think I just became a Nick. I mean, we started getting, <laughs> I think it was like the Daily News or something, maybe, or News, like one of those, like, uh, not the New York Times papers that are like cheaper. And then we just started getting those. And I started reading the sports section. And obviously, they covered the Knicks here a lot more. But I also am brown and grew up in the 90s. So of course, how could you not like be obsessed with like Jordan? So I loved watching the Bulls. I love Jordan, but I think when I rooted for a team, it was with the Knicks just because of everything around me. And then just like naturally just assuming that I had to root for them. And, you know, unfortunately for me, all these years later, it's like the jokes on us, but, but in the nineties, it was, it was great. Um, and that, yeah, the basketball culture was, I think really important also at that time, like we were talking about earlier, because that was where different groups of people got together, especially in a place like Queens, like all the yep. different kids, all the different cultures, um, doesn't yeah, matter where you're living. Yeah, yeah I got five. <laughs> I got next. I, <laughs> I got five. I got yeah. next. And shout outs to your uh, brother-in-law. I used to uh, play some ball uh, with Joel. Oh, yeah. he, was, he, had, he had the dirt game. He was like the big yeah. power mofo. With a sweet <laughs> jumper from far. I was like, how is he hitting everything? So, and and yeah. the great thing about Queens, like you said, everyone can get a pickup game with your Latin friends, to your black friends, to your West Indians, to your white people, to the Bengali people, to the Asian people, everybody. How, and everyone's how much- coming. With, no, I'm just like, everyone is coming to that one playground from like different, <laughs> even parts of the like different neighborhoods, which I never thought about, right? Like different mm-hmm. types of probably like even socioeconomic areas and, yeah, go ahead. You're, you're, no, you're it, was, it, was just, it was just fun times and, and, and you kind of realize that like 
like when I was living uh, in these types of things, I was living in like a small apartment and then I'm meeting someone else from a different culture and they're living uh, in a basement apartment and then we're from different cultures, but we're all eating similar food, you know, like back home, just call it something different because from different parts of the world. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. What I, wanted, what I wanted to ask is, do you get a chance to apply your sports fandom, whether it's basketball, tennis, uh, running, uh, football, some of the stuff that, you know, uh, whatever you're into, do you get a chance to use that with your patients or your students in, you know, in your mentorship? Yeah, I think all the time, like, um, because I lived in so many different neighborhoods in the city and also like places like Albany upstate, like had a lot of different, like exposure to a lot of different interests, a lot of different things in terms of pop culture, particularly. So I've, held on to a lot of that as I've gotten older I like a lot of different things and I think that helps me and like you know I did residency in um Johnstown Pennsylvania super rural Pennsylvania um complete opposite place from Queens um 95% of my patients were white um people who had like never left western Pennsylvania like their entire lives um a very conservative town and it's you would you know, it's hard to find a lot of common ground there when you're like a kid, South Asian kid from Queens. Um, yeah. So what did, you, sports, what did you? What did you? Yeah. Uh, so sports was one of the things bridge. because they didn't. There is like not a lot of. There's no basketball team in in nope. uh, Western PA, but there was the Steelers. Um, I'm not a big yeah. NFL fan um, as much post Kaepernick. I kind of just kind yeah. of like was like I'm good on that. But I was a, <laughs> I was a huge Jets fan growing up and. <sighs> Um, I knew I knew enough about uh, the like Pittsburgh Steelers history, Terry Bradshaw, five rings, all that stuff. And I mean, that's like a that was a bridge. That need. was a bridge that's to, all you need. to like, need. yeah. Any any to the any town near Pittsburgh? Yeah. Any town near Pittsburgh yeah. is like Terry Bradshaw. <laughs> like oh, I have yeah. a seat right here. You know, you know about that. And <laughs> and you'd be surprised. Like even this was I was doing residency right at the height, like as right as Trump was starting to become the nominee, and right before he got elected. And even with a lot of those people who are like, I'm a straight up like MAGA person. I'm like, you know, I believe everything he does. You can find common ground in things like that, like in different types of pop culture, different like things like sports. And like that was an area at least where if I don't agree with you and everything else, I can talk to you while you're my patient in this room, while I'm still going to care for you. It doesn't matter who your, what your political affiliation is. We can still have... A conversation about the Steelers and I think that is still was a connection that I was able to make with people and I'd like to think that like you know <laughs> they're like they're looking back like you know okay this, this guy you know I hear all these things about immigrants and like you know but uh, you know he wasn't so bad like so maybe I saw him on YouTube <laughs> he did an interview on basketball uh, sorry uh, this, <laughs> missing missing them uh, you know and I think about the Deer Hunter. It's this like nineteen seventies movie from like, it's like Christopher Walken, De Niro, De Niro Meryl yeah. Streep, a uh, whole bunch of freaking, and it's from Western Pennsylvania's like uh, mining towns, and like it's just like, oh man, sorry. So I gotta go. I gotta I gotta yeah. ask when you're on your commute during non-COVID times, what's mostly on your playlist? Like, what's your like? Mostly played from 2019 when they gave us those re recollections. Give a, take us through yeah. a little playlist in your commute. 
musically. I'm gonna, yeah, yeah I'm gonna pull that up right now. Yeah, I, I think a lot of it is definitely hip hop. Um, yeah. For sure. Which era? Um, All eras. Old 90s, of course. Um, but I, you know, I, one of the things, again, like, being a doctor for adolescents, they keep like I I'm have always historically been kept up on like the latest trends, which is like, you know, a gift and a curse. And I try not to be that guy, like, oh my God, how can you listen to this like mumblecore garbage uh-huh. and like, you know, and but it's you know, I like Travis Scott, I like uh Lil Uzi yeah. and like different things and but my heart is still with like, you know, Biggie, Nilith Nas, um these Fugees. little mofos don't even know about Biggie and Nas. Yeah, like, they, don't all my they don't know. All my Know to Grow podcast guests, like the top three <laughs> uh, artists when it comes to hip hop, is like, all right, Biggie, Nas, and whoever else. Biggie and Nas make like everyone's like Mount yes. Rushmore. And and Biggie, Kanye was a big force for me. Kanye, uh, right? unfortunately, like before all, you know, it's like it's still a sore subject, but nah, Kanye had his, had his peak. In in college, like I saw Kanye, like when he came to Stony Brook on his college dropout tour, when he had like John Legend like playing the piano behind, where no one knew who John Legend was, and um, you know it was it, like I followed him throughout that, and like he was definitely a major force. I mean, he's like actually one of the first art like hip hop artists really that talked about like mental health openly. Since we're on the topic of mental health, I think that's also what at the time really stuck out to me and really um, connected with me. And also, like, because I moved around so much, lived in, like, different areas as a big, like, indie rock guy. I mean, Nirvana, like we said, Pearl Jam before in the, in the 90s, Smashing Pumpkins, that whole era, Green Day. Um, but more... I made a 90s rock yeah. playlist. I'm going to share it with you. <laughs> yes. I made yeah, a 90s that, rock playlist because Nipa and I at home, we are big uh, fans of all types of music. She grew up on The Cure and Duran Duran and a whole bunch of the uh, pop slash rock. Depeche Mode, a lot of that. And for me, uh, I actually moved to Bangladesh when I was like in fifth grade for like a year and a half. So I came back and I was adjusting to like schoolwork and my first report card, I did poorly because I was like always watching TV during my homework. So my dad, he put my, he he took the TV away, like put it away, like put it away (laughs) for like three, four weeks. That was my punishment. Like you screwed up. You can't do your homework while watching TV. You're an idiot. (laughs) No more TV for three weeks and then pick your grades up. I was like, oh, shit. So I came home. My first day home, I was like, oh, fuck, I can't even watch TV. What am I going to do? I put on the radio. And it was Z100. And the first song, can you guess? Can you guess which band and song from 1994? What was it, Green Day? It was Jim Blossoms. Close. It was, it was, oh, it was actually, oh, bro. Oh, Jim actually, bro. I, 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 I upped up the year. 94, Green Day took over. It was 93, because that's when I <laughs> fucked up. So it was Jim uh, Austin's yeah. Hey Jealousy. And that was like my gateway to like this amazing music. I was like, <laughs> what? This is amazing. And then that led to a lot of, you know, Green Day started coming out. And then Madonna was making some good pop music uh, with a yeah. lot of that stuff. And then, and then by 94, uh, Nirvana, you know, everything started picking up, you know, pop, you know mainstream culture wise. And then with the passing of Kurt Cobain, it just took it to another level. So I have a whole rock playlist uh, with everything, yeah. starting with like Ramones, like 77, 78, yeah. going all the way. I think I stopped it around like 96, 97, because after that, or I probably stopped around like the good Charlotte phase and I couldn't 
finding okay, yeah. that's when things started to take a turn yeah i mean i was into like i liked all that stuff too like some of the indie stuff in college and i think when i moved to brooklyn in the to that height of the hipster era yeah so i love like you know the strokes grizzly bear and like bonnie bear if like, any of the kids listening if they know Bonnie Bear, i don't even know if they do but um out of like the newer stuff i, I like you know tame impala i mean and then we're going back to rap like kendrick i feel like for me is a top five if i'm gonna be honest yeah so. yeah yeah Kendrick Kendrick has this sound it's like a message and for like people from our generation like I'm in a similar boat as you where I got to work with a lot of young people so to not be the old guy <laughs> in the office I'm yeah. like I'm I make sure to listen to uh, obviously Travis Scott um I'm a personal fan of like weekends music even though he's not like an MC and I'm not down with like the 69 craze and a lot of the some of them but like I'm I'm, I'm good on that as well. One hit wonders. I'm I'm some I'm good. I'm, I I I definitely love Cardi and everything that Nicki laid the way for before that. Um, and you know before we Cardi for sure. Cardi for sure. She's she's incredible. She's incredible and artist wise and just. I think her first her first album is probably like it's like one of the best like hip hop debut albums like ever. Oh, that's a Montefiore like, that's a Montefiore bias right there, yeah. dog. That's a Montefiore yeah, it is. bias. It's that's Bronx, like from your it's a that's Bronx, a Bronx bias, thing, but. Yeah, I got to ask, you know, you are, uh, you know, married and um, you have an incredible, incredible uh, better three fourths, as they say. Uh, What kind of pop culture have you and Jen been uh, consuming now that it's been quarantine and things have to be a little change up and there's not as much concerts and comedy shows that we can actually attend? How are you and uh, Jen? tackling pop culture, you know, in the last few months and any other, any other parting words? Yeah, I think uh, we had, um, we did, we going to concerts was like a major thing for us when we were dating, when we were, since we've been married. Um, and so that's, that's definitely something I feel like strange. I don't know when the next time I'd be, feel comfortable going to a concert. We actually went to a Bonnie Iver concert at Barclays like around um, February or yeah, like in the, sometime in the winter before all this. Um, but we obviously a lot of Netflix. Uh, we love the things we watch together are things like Queer Eye, uh, a lot of feel good stuff. Um, I think it's like a great show, very empowering too for people. I'm a season one uh, snob. I don't, I don't, I don't like, uh, I don't mess with anything past season one. So like season <laughs> one, season two. I remember like it was like oh three oh four. I was also home like studying for my mini boards, and I was watching my nanny, and I was like, nanny, you see what's going on here? These four or five guys. Yeah, they are gay and they <laughs> got mad style. You know how to cook? They, Let's go watch it. She's like, yo. So my nanny was like watching. She's like, yeah, I like his style. It does look like a good dish. That guy was super sloppy before. So, um, you so you guys rely on the feel good stuff to kind of keep the spirits up. Yeah, no, we I think we we try to mix it up, um, and we watch like yeah, we if we watch a feel good thing, then we usually follow it up with something like darker. Like we saw Barry with Hater, Bill Hater. That's like a great. That's a great show. Um, I'm trying to think of what else, but there's, it's almost like there's like too much TV. I mean, Handmaid's Tale when it came out was a big one the first season. Haven't seen any of it since then. Um, we try to watch some movies here and there. Usually it'll be like a Pixar, like a feel good, followed mm-hmm. by like something heavier. Um, but it's, it's, yeah, I think these days it's harder because you try and, not to watch too much but at the same time it's like there's less to do because <laughs> we because you know we can't like go out and do different things that we used to do and so that's definitely harder i mean she's a pharmacist she's 
working from home now as well because she can't go to her clinical sites at least for now um but in a way that's also nice like we have the workday is split where like i'm in one place and she's in another place so maybe we don't see each other like as much but it's also kind of nice that like we have this like extra time together like there's no commute that i have to worry about Mm -hmm. like we can cook more um and so it's, it's weird but in a lot of ways that there there are things that we weren't doing before like going for walks regularly um together that like we've been able to do more of the topic has been on adolescent mental health we've got a chance to learn a great deal uh, about your education journey your growth journey how you like to you know enjoy culture both personally and professionally what final message do you have for any of the youth listening uh, around adolescent mental health whether they're an adolescent right now or they're a little bit beyond it and they're reflecting back uh, any final messages and where can we find you yeah um yeah it's like a really broad and like there's like so many different ways to think about like your own mental health but i think again the first the most important thing is taking care of yourself whatever that might mean to you um treating yourself parks and recreation if we're talking about pop culture one of my favorite shows but you know treating yourself really um and not being so hard on yourself if you are not able to achieve something especially if it's on the first try particularly if it's academically like failing a class or um not being able to get into the school that you wanted like these things that we have held up in such high standards historically like they're um you know it's not going to be the end all be all for you and also i think trying to surround yourself with people like you really be open with uh, like really really be open with and because sometimes you know it's hard with families you may or may not you can't really choose that um but i think even working on to find common ground with your families particularly if you are if you identify with um certain communities that may be your parents have like you know issues with like again like going back to like lgbt um kids it's like, still a major issue still a major issue in 2020 particularly in south asian and minority communities um talking about mental health itself is still can be a stigma so i think trying to slowly work on that as well can go a long way um finding mentors i mean this is part of the reason like you know your dad was a mentor to me like and you know when he started tutoring me i didn't like really think about that but like until later like he was like one of the first people who was like listen i know you're going to do great things i know you're going to do great things you're going to be like that and it's like there was pressure at the time but he was like always so sure that i was going to do i was going to turn out doing something great like even before i did and so i think about that a lot honestly um i think about also that it was hard when he was sick like i couldn't um i was in the caribbean i think when i was coming back like at home i was like super depressed and i heard like you know a monster uncle sick and it was just like this really hard thing to me for me to even process at the time because i was just like i should reach out and i should go visit him and it was just like it was just like this complete like mental block where it's like almost like you can't even like acknowledge like what the reality is and so I also just wanted to mention that because that's something also I think about too even with our conversations. Yeah, but he was like such a great mentor and I think for me being able to give back, be able able to and when you get to a position where you can mentor people, if you can, if that's your thing, even just being honest about your experience can be like the biggest thing that you do for people um for students who uh have similar paths to you, have different paths 
uh, from you that where they can learn. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I think I'll, I'll leave it there. <laughs> I want to thank you so much for that very uh, personally touching and moving uh, message. Uh, <clears throat> for whatever reason, my dad had a lot of uh, students and for whatever reason he always had a special place in his heart for you and as he did with every one of his students but for you if i had to guess as to why he was so convinced that you were gonna do something well i think he knew that your heart and your effort was always gonna be there and it was just a matter of time before you found the right path and the right timing. Um, so I think those are things that being an educator and being in his footsteps and just kind of, I always think back to like, what was it about this person or that person that made my dad so excited about them? And for every different person, I've, I've, I've spent a lot of time trying to figure those questions out for myself as his son. So I'm just letting you know, um, you know, those are the reasons why he had a very special place in his heart for you. He knows that even if people weren't able to visit right then and there, I think what would mean more to him is what you're doing right now, which is serving and following in his footsteps and your families and being a mentor. So I just, I just wanted to share that. Like, you know, don't carry any of that weight of the visit. What you're doing now is probably much more meaningful to him um, than anything else you could be doing. So on that note, Dr. Ricky, it's always been a pleasure to have you on. Uh, we talked about adolescent mental health for this particular episode, which is a huge, huge, wildly important topic to me. It's one of the most important topics to me, both as an educator, as, uh, as a physician, as a public health leader, um, as someone who wildly uh, believes in preventative medicine and someone as an educator in the space. Um, I can't wait to hopefully continue the series around adolescent medicine and deeper dives into particular topics as um, time continues. And until the next time we meet Dr. Ricky and to all the viewers at home and the listeners, uh, thank you for joining us today for the Adolescent Mental Health episode uh, for this one. And until next time, always remember to pay it forward, folks. Pay it forward.